0: If I gave you two classifications, which would you classify your life as being? One of resolution or one of prediction? There's a difference between the two. I think you would know the words and could uh, just quickly define them in your mind of the difference between the two. Most people, I believe, are by default, by default setting, if you will, we are, we are more of a prediction than we are a resolution. And there's a, a vast difference in the outcome of that. Uh, I think it's a prediction because you, you've heard the statement made before. Maybe, maybe you haven't. I think it's absolutely a truth statement um, that the best predictor of future behavior is what? Past behavior. You know, so you look at somebody and you're interviewing them for a job and you interview them and you check their references What are you asking about? You're asking about their past behavior because that is probably the best predictor of future behavior. So we do it subconsciously. We don't even realize that we are a bit of a prediction. <laughs> we're predictable people. We're, we're, we're creatures of habit. You, some of y'all are sitting in the same seat. I can find some of you week after week. I know when you're not here or when you are here. So you're, you're, we are somewhat of a prediction. Um, some of that's good, some of that's bad. So when you look at it from a generational sin perspective, something that we have picked up as a child from our parents or grandparents, that our parents picked up from their grandparents and our great-grandparents, and that we have literally taken down to this generation. And guess what? The next generation is going to take it and do it as well. And sometimes that's good, and sometimes that's not so good. Sometimes we want to kind of make it be what it's not. And so are you a prediction? Or are you a resolution? Sometimes we are the shadows of our own past. And we get caught in the shadows of our own past. Dark shadows. Shadows that, that have marked us in the past and we can't get out of that. We, don't, we can't figure out how to get out of the cycle that we're spinning in. And so, some of you, if I were to ask you, what does your future look like? Where are you going with your life what is your quest that you are on? And if I were to say that your life is not going to be any better than it was yesterday, you would be quite depressed. Or the day before, or the year before, or the relationship before, or the job before. And I want to say if you continue to live in that pattern of a prediction, you will most likely be that in the future. I want to talk about it from a different angle today, though. I want us to get it out of being a a prediction. Predictions are not always accurate. Sometimes they are accurate. Predictions are based on assumptions, feelings, trends that happened in the past. You do that as you Walmartians do what you do. Vendors, you do what you do. You are projecting the future. You're looking out. And you're doing that based on the past. You are doing your little projections and your numbers and your spreadsheets. You are a predictor or forecaster. Beware, you can make some bad predictions. You can miss some opportunities. Has anyone ever heard of Deco Records? Me either, but have you heard of the Beatles? I think you have. Deco Records in 1962 said this to the Beatles, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. They refused to sign them. Uh, probably one that those executives deeply regretted. Charles Duell, commissioner of the U.S. Patents Office in 1899, said everything that can be invented has been invented. All right, the guy who is supposed to be on the cutting edge of invention and innovation is saying that. A lady named Debbie was a pretty good cook in her own right, and she liked to make cookies, and so she proposed the idea of having a cookie store And this is the letter that she got back. A cookie store is a bad idea. Besides the market research reports, America likes crispy cookies, not soft, chewy cookies like you make, Mrs. Debbie Fields. I'm glad she didn't listen to her prospective people. Probably my favorite one of all all of these is the next one. $100 million is way too much money to pay for Microsoft, IBM said back in 1982. Bill Gates alone is worth $76 billion, and he's giving it away. So, again, predictions are not always what you want to go off of. Predictions are like sometimes like Forrest Gump philosophy. Life is like a feather on a breeze and it just blows. And again, you can base it on trends. You can base it on atmosphere. You can say, okay, the, the feather's going to go so far and you can do all of the math behind that. And it's going to go this distance and you can do all the studies and analysis of that. Sometimes it's a gut feeling. I want us to move beyond that. I want us to go beyond and I want us to live not as a prediction out there. I want us to live as resolutions. Resolution is what we determine will happen. Based on convictions. Based on mission. Based on purpose. Based on a strong determination by God's grace, I'm going to move from here to there. Martin Luther King, I have a dream was a resolution in sorts. What kind of resolution are you making? Are you living? And it's not just to become bigger, faster, wealthier than the other person. I want to challenge you to interface God into this and ask this question, God, what do you want of me? Where are you taking me? Where are you taking us? What are you doing here, big picture? I want to give you an example of a person who lived by resolution and not by prediction. A guy's name you probably most in the room won't know, but if you've studied any theology any length of time, you will have heard of Jonathan Edwards. Probably the most influential theologian that was ever born in America raised in America still to this day seminarians are studying from Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s lived in the mid 1700s a most impactful life a part of the the second great or the, the great awakening period and just beautiful powerful person individual by the age of 5 he was studying Hebrew Greek and Latin this guy lived different than our 5 year olds today that study Angry Birds, Candy Crush, and Kim Kardashian's Hollywood Game. It's a different different makeup of caliber of person. Jonathan Edwards was the youngest person ever to go to Yale School University at age of 13, the youngest to ever graduate in the 1700s, American's greatest theologian of a Puritan past. But that's not what I'm talking about resolution. I think all of that kind of built up. All of that laid the foundation for living a life, not a prediction, but of resolution. Because when you look at Jonathan Edwards, by the age of 20, had 70 resolutions set for his life. 70 statements penned, inked out, saying this is what I want in my life. This is what I feel like God is telling me about the life that I should be living. I'm not going to ask you how many of your New Year's resolutions here in August have you lived out, all right? I don't need to go there. I don't want to bring up the past, all right? Because, again, the past is the best predictor of the future, all right? We're going to move on that today. We're going to talk about resolutions, hopefully, in a such a way that we will all move forward greater. But let me give you a couple examples of resolutions lest you kind of get lost in the muck and the mire of this. And I want to encourage you through all of this message today, to start writing your resolutions. I don't care if you listen to another word that I say, you can start writing your resolutions. And hopefully through the message, though, it will feed that and stoke the fire inside of you. But this is one of his resolutions. I resolve never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. A 20-year-old is writing that. Somebody who's calculating their life down to the hour. Somebody who's saying that, listen, even at 20 I may die and I don't want there to be any regrets in my life. That even if it's the last hour of my life, I will not do anything that I would regret. Resolve never to do anything out of revenge. That's a great resolve for relationships. Resolve to maintain the strictest temperance in eating and drinking. We could all use that buffet line, folks, as we are. Resolved to study the Scripture so steadily and constantly and frequently that I plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of it. This is a 20-year-old writing that he wants to be so in depth, in the Word, so consistently in the Word, so, so much in the Word that He knows it, it knows Him. It, it is a part of His life. And thus, what do you have at the end of His life but the greatest theologian that America has ever seen? Again, if I live my life with resolution, I am living my life with mission and purpose and direction, and I want to be not here but there in the future. And so I'm going to live that way, and I think we can see from the net results of his life that it proved to be true. Resolved as never to act as if I were my own. This is pretty deep for a 20-year-old, but entirely and altogether God's. How that would change the way we spend our time, money, and how we live our life if we realize that our life is not our own, that every breath that I have, every day that I live, is from God and should be lived to God. The last one of 70. I'm not even giving you a tip of the iceberg. But resolve to live with all my might while I do live. I love that statement. It's probably my favorite. It's short. It's to the point. I want to live my life as long as I'm living. For as many days as I have, I want to live it. I'm not going to coast. I'm not going to, I'm not going to walk. I'm, I'm not going to take my time. I, I'm not going to waste my life. I want it all to count. I want it to count for good. There's a bigger picture out there and I want to live it well. At the end of my life, if we were to learn to live with resolution and not prediction, if we were to learn to live with resolution, we would learn and protect our life. It would be a defensive mechanism in our life. It would protect us from a whole lot of train wrecks out there. If I were to write now on a piece of paper, this is how I want my relationship to be, my next relationship. This is how I want my next job to be. This is how I want my next whatever. Fill it in. This is how I want to raise my children. Write it out. Live it out. If we were to live with that level of resolve and commitment, that now I'm going to live and pursue this, it it would save us from a lot of wreckage, but it would also steer us through a lot of life's decisions and choices resolutions. Do you live by resolution or do you live as a prediction? We started a study a few weeks ago called Quest. And if you're first time with us today, just a quick review. Quest number one, I think these are the quests that we all have in life. We're all pursuing. So I don't care if you're first time with us today or or, or last time, if I scare you away, Uh, last time with us today or, or, or whatever the case may be. I think young, old, whatever, we all have a quest for love. We we, we want we want to be loved. We want to know love we want to experience love We want to be embraced by love and really we want to give love And and we read in first john chapter 4 and go back and you can listen to that message all online And the, the the real deep hunger behind love is not love I'm, not trying to mix words up here and kind of be some philosopher here But I really think the essence of our desire for love is truly an essence of a desire for god and I base that upon the very core in essence and the purest form of love and love that love that that God is love. And we, we studied that, we looked at that. And I can't repeat the whole message. And really, if you want to understand what love is, then you really gotta look at Jesus because in first John chapter four it says that Jesus is the manifestation of God's love. So here, if I could just put it in one little step by step equation, if you will, the very first thing we want to do is we need to seek Jesus. Because he's the manifestation of love. And so when you seek Jesus, then you're really on your way to finding God. And when you encounter God, because Jesus is God, then you're also going to encounter love, because God is love, okay? And big, uh, capital L, proper noun, love. He is love. It is his essence. It's who he is. But when you move beyond that, then you will be able to experience love. Listen, I'm not going to try to pry into anybody's life here, but let's just be real some of us have never experienced that level of love. It's been a cheap love. It's been a sick love. It's been a, an abusive love. It's been a neglectful love. It's not been a real love. And you'll not find real, unconditional, forever never-ending, patient, kind, gentle kind of love outside of a relationship with God. When you find that, then you now have a banner, you have a marker, you have a, you have a bar in which you can set, this is the kind of love I want to receive, this is the kind of love that I will give. The quest for love is a quest for God. You find it in Jesus. Number two, there's a quest to belong. There's a pursuit that we have to belong. We want to be a part of teams. We want to be a part. uh, We don't want to be the last one picked on the, on the playground. We, we, we want to be in a marriage relationship. We, we are parent. We parent because we want to have a family. We have tribes. We have teammates. We have leagues. We have all kinds of collaborations because there's a sense of belonging and that's just a part of the world in which we live. I even love it last week how 65 people responded to the message and said, I want to be a part of a communitas group because I want to be a part of a place that belongs and accepts and lives on mission. I love it. 65. We need about 80 groups to facilitate all the needs of our own congregation. We have about half of that today. So if any of y'all were thinking, hey, I want to be a part, and also I'm ready to lead out, then now's a good time, okay? Quest number three, where we'll talk today, is the pursuit to become. Again, if I were to tell you that that, that the rest of your life will be like the previous part of your life, some of y'all would be depressed over that. The, the, The rest of your life would be as full of of trauma and trial and neglect or or whatever that you I mean, maybe you've had a good life and all that kind of stuff and you're very pleased and you want the, 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 to keep marching forward and the way that's going to happen is because you're going to live by resolution, all right? Because you will not naturally gravitate to the good life, but we do have a quest to become. We we want we want. Something better tomorrow. We buy a house in hopes that tomorrow or next year or two years from now when we sell that house that there will be some equity that we will walk away from that house with something. Our life will be better. We, we join a team because we want to be a part of a, a team that wins. And so we choose the team that we're a part of. We break off a relationship because that relationship is not something we could see our life in in the future. We take a job, or we refuse a job because we do not see the potential for promotion. We leave a job because we've capped out, or we we can't go any further. Why is that? Because we always are wanting to become. We're always wanting to move forward. We're not wanting to just be a feather in the wind. We want to be something resolute moving forward. More than just that, establishing that fact, how is it that we live a life of resolution? Take your Bibles. Be finding the book of First Corinthians. Because I think outside of Jesus, and the answer is always Jesus, right? Uh, Outside of Jesus, there's probably no better person than looking at Paul and seeing a person who lived with great resolution about his life, great intention about his life. Uh, uh, Paul's the man that we want to study today, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we will look. And it's kind of his manifest, if you will. Now, I'm sure there's other places you can find him making strong, bold statements, but this is a statement that he makes about himself, that he is living this way. Call it resolution, if you will. Now, just to kind of give you a little bit of insight into the character of Paul, Paul was a sports fanatic. I'm convinced that if Paul were alive today, he would watch ESPN Sports Center every day, listen to the ESPN radio in his chariot or his car uh, if he could. Uh, he really likes sports. He's constantly in, in drawing in sports analogies and, and, and making comparisons to sports as he will do here. He actually draws on the Greek first century games, uh, here, uh, to kind of help us get an understanding, uh, of what he's trying to compare life to. And in this passage, he, Really is probably drawing on the Greek first century games, and they only had five sports that were in the games. Compare that to the Winter Olympics that we just finished, where there are 96 different medal events. They only had five. The five were leaping, discus, running, boxing, and wrestling. That was it, that was all. That was the games. But these athletes would train and prepare and, and and come with little clothes on on as they could just to, to to not have any resistance to to work hard to win hard to do all that they could. So let's now, in light of that context, as he's writing the church in Corinth, Greece here, uh, let's let's begin reading in verse twenty-four. Do you not know? Now that statement off the off the top kind of gives you the tone. You already know this. You are. You are people from Greece. You go to the games. You watch the games. You you know what I'm about to say here. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain. And every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as I'm beating the air. There's two different games, sports, that he brings into play here. But I discipline my body. And I keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. When you look at this passage of Scripture, I I see that there are four resolutions to to a life well-lived in Paul that hopefully will translate and lay over on our life. The very first resolution that he makes is there was a clear definition about his life. Clear definition. What are you in this thing? Now, he says this, in a race, now notice how obvious this statement is, in a race, all runners run. Thank you, Paul, Captain Obvious. You're in the race to run. Runners run. Runners don't walk. Runners don't limp, skip, dance. They run, all right? But that takes definition. If you are a runner, then run. If you're a walker, then get on the sidelines. You're taking up space. If you're a fan, stay in the stands, but if you are a runner, don't be anything less than a runner. We call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves Christ followers. But are we? It needs definition. See, some of us today are calling ourselves followers of Christ. We're, we're in the game. Yeah, 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 but we're sitting in the stands and we're not doing anything. We're walking by the sidelines and critiquing everything that's going on around. But we ourselves are not in the game. Define yourselves. If you're in the race, all runners should be running. There are runners, there are walkers, there are bystanders, there are consumers, there are even injured. What are you? Can you define yourself? Can you look today and can you say, I am a watcher, I'm just a person on the sidelines right now just checking this whole church thing out, this whole God thing out. Okay, it's fine. Define yourself. Are you a walker? You know, I want to run, but no, I really just don't have the energy. I don't have the time to run. My life is already busy over here. I'm running over here chasing kids or running over here doing this. I don't have time to really run in that race. So I'm just going to walk. And there are those who like to skip, skip to their own beat, do it their own way. They're not in a race to win it. They're just They're just playing. They're just playing God. They're just playing church. They're just playing religion. What are you? Can you define yourself? Are you a runner? Because if you're a runner, then you need to be running. If you're a follower, you need to be following. If you're just a fan, you're just in the stands. I get it. But define who you are and where you are in it all. Have you ever in your life intentionally and purposefully entered the race? Again, he's using metaphors all the way through here, so I'm just gonna hang with that. You're gonna have to follow and track along here. But, so are you in the race? Have you ever entered into the race? Have you ever said, Jesus, I'm with you, I'm on, let's go it, I'm wearing your jersey, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm in this game. Now, I'm reading a book, I just finished a book called, uh, Not a Fan. Maybe you've read, have you ever read the book, Not a Fan? It's an amazing book. The Page Turner. We're gonna actually study it in the spring, but we'll save that for then but one of the things that he picks up in that in that book is he distinguishes between fans and followers fans and followers some people are just follow they call themselves they call themselves all in the team they wear the team jersey they buy all the team apparel they paint their face they maybe don't even wear a shirt and they paint their their belly who knows and they, and they go to the games and they stand there and they yell and they scream and they're the biggest fans And they can tell the coaches whatever they did wrong and the players whenever they missed the block. But you put them on the field, they couldn't do half of that. They're really good fans, but they're horrible players. They're out of shape. They're not committed. They've not done the time. They've not been disciplined. Listen, Paul is raising the bar and he's saying, listen, if you're a runner, get in the race and run. Listen, let me remind you, we remind you what Jonathan Edwards said about his own life? And does this sound like a fan or does this sound like a follower? I resolve to live with, my, with all my might, all my might while I do live. I resolve is never to act as if I were on my own, I, I were my own, but entirely, altogether, God's. He's using these words, altogether, everything's in, all my life, everything, all my might. Another one, resolve never to do anything which I would be afraid to do that if it were the last hour of my life. Define yourself. Are you a runner? And if you're a runner, if you call yourself a runner, are you running? Are you really in this race? Or are you just watching it from the sidelines? Number two, live with determination. (laughs) I love what he said there. He said, hey, by the way, if you're running, run like a runner who wants to win. Only one gets a prize. Only one gets a prize in the ancient Greek games. To be immortalized would be to win the Olympics. You're immortal. You're invincible. You're unstoppable. You're like the gods. And they would run with such determination as if there's only one prize and they're going to get it. Now, Paul is not saying here that if there's only going to be one prize in heaven and, and, and we're all racing to get there. He's not trying to say that at all. He's using the metaphor, and the metaphor will only go so far, but he says exactly what he means. Run in such a way that you will win. That's determination. That's commitment. I want to get the trophy. there's only one trophy, I'm going to get the trophy, and I'm going to commit my life to it. Listen, it's not going to come to you. It's not going to just hit you upside the head. You're not just going to walk into it. It's not going to come to you. The good life that I speak of, the life that we talk about, a life well lived, it's not going to do that. Here's a life principle for you. Jot it down. The life well lived is will not come to you, but you must go to it. It's time for you to get serious about your following Jesus. I'm in the race. I'm going to do this as if there's only one prize, and I'm going to be the winner of that prize. That's a level of determination that we need to have. We get so sidetracked by so many things. Even Jesus, in his only sermon recorded in Matthew chapter six, he talks about how people got upset because they didn't have enough food or they didn't have the fashion or they worried about this and they worried about that and anxiety levels all through the roof. I thought, man, that's that's twenty first century America. America. You know, that is us. Um and then Jesus says But seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things that you're chasing after, all these things that you're anxious about, all these things that you're worried about, they're going to be taken care of. Seek first on me. You want to make your priority list? You're going to make all your things you're going to do in life? Put me at the top. At the top of that list, seek first, and all these other things will come to us. And listen, you're going to have to do it. You're going to have to take the initiative. You're going to have to step out. You're going to have to be diligent. You're going to have to be determined in this. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You play games with me. I'm going to put my interpretation on this. You play games with me, I'm going to play games with you. Hide and seek is what it's called. You get serious about seeking after me. You get determined to seek after me. You really want to know me, then I'm going to be there. You're going to play games. I'm not going to be there. Number three, you see Paul living a very resolved life because of his disciplined life that he lived. Live with discipline. Verse 25, he says, exercise self-control in it. All things. But I'm just a runner over here. I, I can go over here and party on the weekends. I can go over here and do what I want, eat what I want, do it all. No, 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 no. If you're going to be serious about the race, if you're going to be serious about winning the race, focus in all areas of your life. Is there any area of your life not fully surrendered to him? Any area of your life that's not given over to him? The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, in everything. King James Bible says, goes into strict training. Verse 27 says it like this, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave. That's discipline. I literally bruise my body so that it will do not what it wants to do, not to it will blow like a feather on a breeze, but because this is the path that I'm going to take, I'm not going to let anything get me off course. I am focused, I am disciplined. First century Greek uh, Stoic philosopher said it like this, speaking of the games and how they would live, would you be a victor in the Olympic Games? Ask a question. So in good truth would I. For it is glorious thing. Remember, you are immortalized if you win the games. But pray, consider what you must go before and what may follow so you proceed to the attempt you must then live by rule eat what is what will be disagreeable refrain from delicacies you must oblige yourself to constant exercises at a appointed hour in heat and cold you must abstain from wine and cold liquor in a word you must Be as submissive to all directions of your master as to those of a physician. Listen to your coach. Not to your mind, not to your wishes, not to your whims, not to the wind. That's predictable. That's where everybody else is blowing. You're going a different path. You're going a better path. You're resolved to that. If you don't, if I don't, Live a disciplined life Then I will chase the fads and the feelings of my world. Stephen Covey said it like this. The undisciplined are slaves to moods, appetites, and passions. What are you a slave to? You will either make your body your slave, And as Paul said, beat it into subjection, or you will be a slave to your passions, your desires, and your appetites. Tell you tell you a story about myself. And this really came into focus, literally focus for me, whenever I was going through something and I uncovered some photos of me when I was 27, all right? I've destroyed the negatives and the photo, just so you know. Nobody will ever see this photo. But I looked at that photo, and I said, you have got to be kidding me. See, from the time I turned 20 to the time I turned 27, I had a motto about my life, eat or be eaten. (laughs) And I was not going to be eaten. And so I ate everything, as much as I could eat, as long as I could eat, and I just kept eating. And that was the way I lived. And I didn't realize the metabolism changes. I didn't realize all the things that could happen to, to, to a person uh, just from 20 to, to whatever. There's literally, They call it the seminary spread when you go to seminary. And you just kind of spread out horizontally versus vertically. And that's exactly what happened to me. At 27, I saw this photo. That was my motto. In the 30s, I began to realize I can't continue this. I, I'm being totally transparent to you. How authentic is this? I was literally adding an inch in my waist every Christmas season. I'd have to get new pants to cover up my bulge the next year for the bulge that I gained that year. And it was just a, it was a cycle that I was on. I said, i got to stop this. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pick up some, the ball, I'm going to go shoot some hoops. And, and I got a new motto at that point. I exercise to support my eating habits. All right. And so that's what I began to live like. And so it was like I would, I would dribble and then I would go eat, pick out. I would say, I had just worked out. I got to pay myself back. You know, I worked hard. And I never mind the deficit that I was already living. But anyway, I mean, I, that wasn't important at that point. And so I would justify that and I would just eat to, to and, and work out a little bit along the way. And I realized I wasn't making any, any ground. It was getting worse. And so in my 40s, I changed again. And now my motto is to eat to support my exercise. And it's true. In every sense of the word, I watch everything that goes into the pie hole of my mouth. And, and I'm counting it. And I'm, I'm, maybe I'm obsessed, if you will, but some would say that. I know Lori thinks that from time to time. But the point being is I realize that there's a difference in me in fitness and strength. I can tell you this and... If I'm lying, I'm dying. And that's this, that the mic at 46 can run circles around the mic at 26 in that photo because I'm living differently. And it's not fun and it's not always easy. And I have to say no a lot to the things I want to say yes to. But I want to win. I'm going to live a disciplined life. That's the appetite. Okay, that's that's just an illustration of what I want to talk about on the spiritual side. In the same way spiritually, just as we should take care of ourselves physically. Now let's talk about it from a, from a spiritual perspective because that's exactly what Paul did in 1 Timothy 4 eight. He said physical training is good. He doesn't negate it. Not, not, it's not that it's not important. But training for godliness is much better and promises benefits in the life and the life to come. Notice that last phrase, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. What is it, what's the title of this series? pursuit and practice of a life well lived. You want to have a good life? Learn the disciplines of godliness. We're going to turn the page in this series of messages and we're going to start talking about the whole idea of the practices and the disciplines of a life well lived. And I'm going to say, listen, I'm going to bring up things to you and I'm going to talk about things that you ought to do as if you were going to a physical trainer and he said, do how many burpees? Uh, Do what? How many times? Lift that? Do this? Run that far? What are you talking about? I can't do that. You're going to start saying things like, oh, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. No, you do that. I don't want to do that. You go there. I don't want to go there. We're going to have all kinds of head talk going on. But if we're going to live a life well lived, if we're going to live like the Jonathan Edwards and not like the Forrest Gump's, if we're going to live like that, then we're going to have to live a resolute life practicing the disciplines of the faith. Spiritual disciplines, J.D. Greer said, are like wires that connect us to the power of the gospel. They have no power in themselves, but they connect us to the place in which the power of flows. No one is made a warrior in the same way no one is born an average man. We make ourselves into the one or the other. Tom Landry, back when the Cowboys were the best team in the nation, used to be the coach there uh, of the Cowboys, made this statement. The job of the football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. You've got to do things you don't want to do So that you can become who you've always wanted to be. That means I'm going to challenge you in the next month of September. Just get ready. Put on your seatbelts. And let's get ready to talk disciplines. Proverbs 23, verse 12. I want you to read these next three verses out loud with me. Apply your heart to discipline and your ears to words of knowledge. Apply your heart to discipline. What are your resolutions that you're making today? What, what, what are the disciplines that you need to apply to your life? Get ready to do it. Number two, uh, 1 Timothy 4.7, train yourself to be godly. Second Timothy one seven, For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Number four, and you see in Paul's life, the life of resolution, because he lived with a destination. He knew that this life wasn't the whole package, that there was more to it beyond this. And he lived that way. Does that remind you of anything like message number one when I talked about reverse engineering? Does that remind you of anything when I talked about it in message number one when I quoted from Stephen Covey again when he talked about beginning with the end in mind? Paul lived his life realizing that this isn't, it wasn't the whole game here. There's a second half. There's something that goes beyond. And am I going to be ready for that? Am I going to be ready to, to step up to that? In verse 27, this letter was supposed to be written or believed to be written in 51 AD. All right. Now just keep that in mind. 51 AD. And this is what he says in verse 27. But I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself may be disqualified. So here he was with living with the end in mind thinking, you know, one of these days I'm going to die. One of these days it's going to be over. One of these days my life's going to be finished here. And God forbid that I end this race, and at the end of this race, I'm disqualified. I mess up. I stumble. Now, skip forward 15 years to the letter of 2 Timothy, chapter, excuse me, I'll just read it, chapter 4, verse 7, written in 67 AD. This is what he said. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Can you imagine in 51 AD when he's writing it? He doesn't know 15 years later that his life's going to be over. But isn't it beautiful when he writes this resolution? I don't want to be disqualified, I don't want to lose. I don't want to work all my life and then throw it all in and cash it all. I want 15 years from now to be able to write my epitaph is I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. The only way I'm going to do that, you're going to do that, we're going to do that is when we resolve inside of ourselves that we're going to live a resolute life. We're going to be runners in a race, running, not walking, standing, talking and observing. We're going to be runners. Determined to win. Determined to win. Disciplined. Doing what we need to do to make sure we get to the end so that in the end of our lives we can say we did it. Martin Luther. Martin Luther said at the end of his life, he said in his life, the two most important days this day and that day. Two most important days. This day and that day. What was he saying? This day that we're living in right now, let me just zero it in to the hour, to the minute, to the second, right now. For some of you in this room, this is the most important minute of your life. Because what you decide to do with this message in this one minute may very well set the trajectory of your life for the next 15-20 years. This day is important. But it's only important in light of that day. That day being the day that we all stand before God and we all give an account for our lives. And Not a perfect person is going to stand before God. That's the, the beauty of His grace. But when I stand before God in all my brokenness, I hope that I can stand before God and I can say, God, I ran a race and I did not stop. I ran with determination. I disciplined my life. I said no when my body wanted to say yes. I said yes when my body wanted to say no. And I did what you asked me to do, God. And I hope when it's all said and done, He'll say, you were faithful. You were good. Enter in. Would you bow your heads with me? You know for some of you again i must I cannot assume that everyone in this room is even in the race. Did you hear that? Are you even in the race? this thing called the christian faith the life the 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 where it saturates you, it takes over you it consumes you. Are you in the race? Or are you just watching the race go by? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Is Christ in you? If He's not, then right here where you are, right there where you sit, would you do this before we do anything else? Would you just say to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow You. I want to be in the race. I want to win. I want to give everything I have to You, Lord. Brokenness, dreams future, past, present. I want to give it to you, Lord, and I want your blood, your forgiveness to set it all right and good. Just tell him in your own words, tell him that. Enter the race. Some of y'all have been in the race for a while, but you've been standing on the sidelines, you've been dancing when you should be running, you've been walking, you haven't even been You've been backing up maybe. It's time to, to set your life in some sort of resolute state that I am going to do X the rest of my life if it kills me. And I want to give you that opportunity as the band will sing for maybe you'll just, you'll just take this time and you'll just spend it in prayer. And you can stay seated. And you might even begin to write out some of those resolutions that you need to write out. But this is your time, and I want to pray, God, right now, this moment, this day, this hour, this minute, I pray that you are doing such an amazing hard work in each and every one of us. May we define ourselves. May you define us, Lord. And may we get in the race, and may we run with determination and discipline and realize at the end there's a destination out there. There's a day when we will stand before You and we want to do it well. We want to become what You want us to become. Lord Jesus, thank You for these moments. These are Yours and we are Yours to Your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Would just stand? And sing. If you need to set and write, do that. This is your time.